God's church is to be all about. And one of the things uh, that God wants from us is to gather together and worship, to do so regularly, in fact, weekly. Uh, So our mini-series is about corporate worship, how we worship when we gather. And this is the gathering of Grace Baptist Church. Uh, If you were here earlier and you participated in our Sunday school or adult Bible fellowship, that is a good thing to do, a helpful thing to do, but that is not the gathering. This is the gathering because we are all together and we're together for the point of worshiping God for who He is for what he's done. The same I could say is true for Awana or youth group or other discipleship group or other, dis- or other Bible studies. They're all helpful. They're all good. And they all have good purposes and intents, but they are not the worship of God's people or by God's people would probably perhaps be a better way of saying that. This is when we've come together with the intent of honoring God with our time, with our hearts, with our lives, with the things that we say, with the things that we do together. Is it true that we worship outside of this room? Absolutely. In fact, uh, if you are close to God, your Savior, you've already worshiped today. You've probably already spent time in the Word this morning. You've already spent time in prayer, and those are acts of worship. But even beyond that, we've talked uh, off and on over the years. I know I have talked about it. I don't know if other pastors before me have, but, but we should be worshipers 24-7, right? Uh, even asleep. God designed you to sleep. You need to sleep, and that's an act of obedience and an act of worship to give, give your body the rest that you need. But that's not the worship we're talking about. We're talking about corporate worship, the gathering. We keep using that term. So far, we've looked at the starting point of worship, which is salvation. 1 Peter 3.18, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the unrighteous, nope, no, he's the righteous, the righteous one for the unrighteous. And see, that doesn't seem right. Shouldn't the one who suffered be the unrighteous ones? Shouldn't that be us? No, but Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, so that he might bring us to God. And last week, we looked to the scripture as the sentinel for worship or the the guardian for worship. Uh, Can we just worship however we want? No, we cannot. Uh, God made it clear that there are certain ways that that is acceptable worship and certain ways that are detestable worship. And so we use the second commandment as our starting point. That commandment is make no graven images. Have no images and don't worship them when it comes to Uh, to our worship. Why? Because God is spirit and he has commanded that we worship him in a certain way. That's why we have no images of Jesus in this building. That would be breaking the second commandment and would be not how God wants us to worship. Today and next week we will look at just one verse, Colossians 3.16. So if you haven't already, I invite you to join me there. Colossians chapter 3. Verse 16, it's a verse that perhaps many of you have already committed to memory, uh, but there is a great deal to talk about from this verse, and so we'll split it into two messages. I invite you to follow along with me as I read it, Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. 
Father, we ask that you would take this short verse and plant it deep in our hearts and that it would guide us as we worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. In order to have an idea of where we're going in this one verse, it's really helpful to have a better idea of what the book of Colossians is about. Uh, We are not about taking verses out of some middle context and just using it for our own purposes. That's not treating the Bible correctly. That would be an abuse of the Bible. So uh, allow me to paint in very broad strokes for the sake of summarizing what Paul is doing in the book of Colossians. In chapter 1, he sets the tone with the preeminence of Jesus Christ. Verses 15 and 16 of Colossians 1. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of over all creation. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He sets the stage that Jesus is preeminent over all things. In chapter 2, Paul sets out the expectation that we would live according to the written word of God and not drift away towards human tradition, not drift away uh, towards uh, false teaching or by false teaching. So in Colossians chapter 2, theme verses would be verses 6 and 7. So then just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to walk in him being rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught and overflowing with gratitude. So that's the the foundation of where we are in chapter 3 of Colossians. In chapters 3 and 4 is where the rubber really meets the road. Paul makes it clear that God's word really does touch on every aspect of our lives. Do you believe that? Man, we're a quiet church sometimes. We sang loud. We're not going to respond to that. We better believe that, because if we don't, then the Bible is lying to us when it says that Scripture is given and is sufficient for all that we need for life and godliness. God's Word touches on every aspect of our lives. Uh, If you have your Scripture open, join me in chapter 3, verse 1. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And the chapter continues with uh, the put off and put on principle. Put off ungodliness. Put off sexual sin and evil desires and anger and slander and obscenities. And rather, put on the new self made possible by Christ. Put on compassion and kindness and forgiveness and patience, and above all, love. If you read through chapter 3, you'll see that all those things are in there. In the immediate context of our verse, verses 14 and 15, above all, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in the body, and be thankful. When he says the body there, he's talking about the church. So Paul has shifted from speaking about individual piety, uh, individual righteousness, he now shifts the attention to the church as a whole, as a group. And that's where we find ourselves in verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. That word you is plural. In use, in y'all. Yeah, you knew I was going to say it, so I had to say it. 
So the first thing we see in verse 16 is that our worship is to be word-saturated. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. What is it? It's the word of Christ. In other words, the Bible as a whole. To be very clear, Paul is not making some subtle statement about the words of Jesus as opposed to the rest of Scripture. Back in 1899, anyone remember that? Back in 1899, there was the first printing of the red-letter New Testament. Perhaps you have a red-letter Bible in front of you where the words spoken by Jesus are printed in red. And the intent by Mr. Lewis Klopsch, I'm not sure if I said that name right at all. I apologize if I didn't. His intent was noble. His intent was to help people understand the scripture. But what inadvertently happened is people started seeing the red letters and giving them a higher importance than the rest of scripture. And that has not ever been supposed to be the case. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable. Profitable for what? For teaching, for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness. Paul wrote that verse, 2 Timothy 3.16, to Timothy, Pastor Timothy, and those words are just as authoritative as anything being attributed to Jesus' direct quotes. Okay, you understand that that's true, right? That all of Scripture is God-breathed and is, has that authority. So as to the what of Colossians 3.16, the word of Christ, he's talking about the Scripture. The Bible is the word of Christ. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. The what is the Bible. The whom is you or among you some translations put that let the word of christ dwell richly among you and perhaps that's a better way of understanding it Um, the word you is plural as i already said but that's plural as in a group we can talk about plural as in lots of individuals but we're not talking about lots of individuals we're talking about the group the gathering the church how richly let the word of christ dwell among you richly healthy individuals skimp on sweets and processed foods but go all in for whole foods such as vegetables fruits and meats healthy churches skimp on things like current events and cultural trends but go all in on bible truth and bible obedience let the word of christ dwell in you richly or fully or in an even an overflowing manner at a, a a married couple asked me a, uh, about some counseling a couple not from our church so don't look around and their marriage was in a very rough patch they wanted help so i laid out for them what i would do if i would counsel them uh, i would do a bible study with them i would give them assignments from the bible to study throughout the week Uh, something as simple as as doing your devotions in the morning, something where they had to interact with Scripture and then do some things, some follow-up throughout the week and then come back and report that. And they needed to attend church. They needed to actually take notes, uh, not because taking notes is some spiritual extra, but because I needed to know that they were thinking through what was actually being preached. And if they would do these things, I would continue to counsel them. And after laying out uh, what, what would be expected and, and how we could go forth, um, the man looked at me and goes, man, that's an awful lot of Bible. 
Well, no, it, it wasn't. But if we believe, and I do believe that Scripture teaches that the Bible is sufficient, that it's all we need to live a God-honoring life, then that's where we need to start, right? That's where we need to start with how to live a godly life. I, I didn't hear back from that couple after that for some reason. I did run into them a, a couple years later. To their credit, they were still married, but there had been no improvement because they had rejected God's plan for living a harmonious life. The word of Christ is where it's at. The primary focus of the church is to dwell richly in the word of God. Our sermons, therefore, are not cultural or political commentary like you might find in some so-called churches. Our sermons are a digging into the word of God and pulling out the meaning that God intends for us to understand and then drawing out real-world ways for us to live out those truths. Our songs are filled with Bible truths. Some of them are very close quotations of Scripture. Other songs uh, are more generalized biblical truth, but our songs are, are biblically centered as well as our sermons. And therefore, our strategy of how we go about being disciples and how we go about making disciples is also guided and saturated with the Word of God. Our worship is to be word-saturated. Secondly, our worship is to be others-directed. Now, I don't mean that in the sense of we worshiping one another. You know that I don't mean that, right? Okay. But when we worship God vertically, we are also directing that in a horizontal manner. It says, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. How? Singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. That one another is a reflexive pronoun. I know you came to church for a grammar lesson. I just know that that's the case. A reflexive pronoun would be like himself. He hurt himself. It's something that he did to himself. It's with, contained within the one individual. Now, I, I realize that one another is two words. In the Greek, it's not. Uh, but it's, uh, it is a reflexive pronoun in the sense that it's all contained within the same people. In other words, those who are encouraging one another in song are also being encouraged by someone else at the same time. There's this back and forth that happens in our worship, specifically in our singing worship we're talking about, but it's applied in other ways in other parts of Scripture as well. Around a hundred times in Scripture, the church is instructed to be active with one another. That's a lot of times, isn't it? The most often repeated, guess which one that is? Love one another. Why do you think that's the most oft repeated? Maybe because we need to be reminded to love one another even when sometimes that's hard? Yeah, maybe. Does that mean that we are not to love others who are not believers? No. But we as believers especially are to love one another. Some of the other one another's take place outside of the gathering. For instance, show hospitality to one another. Um, that does not mean 
go ahead and use the church to invite people over and just give them a place to stay. Now, we might do that if the need arose, but no, the, the be hospitable to one another is open up your own home, open up your own table to others. Uh, so some of the one another's have to take place outside of these walls, but many, most, happen right in here, and some of them in particular happen in the gathering as we worship together. Colossians 3.16 is one of those in the gathering one another's. Our singing as we gather on Sunday morning is a one another activity. It is teaching and admonishing one another as we sing. That does mean it's important that the right songs are chosen since we're not all singing different songs to one another. Uh, and we'll, Lord willing, we'll dig into song selection next week as we continue further into the verse talking about psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. But one of the requirements as a believer, and yes, that word requirement was intentional, one of the requirements as a believer is to teach others while singing. It's your job. I mentioned last week in passing the fact that there are some much older church building designs that facilitated that. I don't know if they did that on purpose. It may have been more because they were looking for the architectural feel, uh, but they would design their auditoriums in the shape of a cross. And so you'd have the platform here, you'd have congregation that way, you'd have congregation that way, you'd have congregation that way. And they would actually be singing to each other as they sang. That's the idea we have here is that we are communicating in song to one another. And yes, our structure here does not lend to that very well. I did see a church one time, I'm not proposing this, by the way, where the pulpit was in the middle of the congregation. And so there are people all the way around, and the stage actually turned as he was preaching. We're not doing that. <laughs> but... That design of building lent itself very well to what this verse is telling us to do. Because it didn't matter where you were sitting, you were sitting facing someone, singing. When we sing, each of us is obeying the commands to teach and admonish our fellow church members. Conversely, when you choose to not sing, what is the opposite of obeying? We are then disobeying God's command to teach and admonish one another. Now, let's be clear. I'm not talking about if you have a sore throat and you can't sing, that you are disobeying. Or if you don't quite know the words yet. We sang a, a fairly new song this morning that I thought you guys sang really well for just the second time that we've sung it together. If you didn't quite know it yet, that's okay. We'll keep working on it. It's one of those conversational songs where the rhythm, it fits the text, but it's a little bit to get used to. That's fine. Or maybe you're just overwhelmed by what God's doing in your heart at the moment. You just can't sing. I'm not talking about any of those things. I mean, when you simply just choose to not sing, you are disobeying this verse. Now, keep in mind, I don't see who sings. I'm, I'm over here. I'm facing the other way. So don't get mad at me if you think I'm talking about you. I'm not. There's a whole slew of things that are important to God that we do as a church. Singing is one of them. 
that we must sing to one another. And God doesn't care if you can carry a tune or not. And God doesn't care if you can keep rhythm or not. Now we want our leaders, those who are leading from here or playing an instrument, we want them to be able to carry a melody and keep a rhythm, okay? But as for the congregation singing, nobody cares. Sing out. Because it edifies and builds up the body of Christ. Consequently, it means worship only happens when we're together. This corporate worship only happens when we're actually together. A companion verse that reinforces this active ministry of each believer in worship is found in Hebrews chapter 10. Uh, it's been probably a couple years since I preached on this verse specifically, but Hebrews 10, 24, and 25, let us consider how to stir up one another, important words, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of son, some, but encouraging one another, there's that one another again, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Again, another verse from Scripture that is absolutely clear that church is an interactive activity, that the worship of God's people is an interactive activity. Stirring up one another to love and good works goes hand in hand in Hebrews 10 with the gathering. Does that not mean we can't stir people up to love and good works outside of the gathering? No, we, we do that. But in the context of that verse, it's specifically about the gathering, that we gather together and we stir up one another, we encourage one another, we help, we build up, we exhort, we admonish. Back when the pandemic hit, we were in a unique, difficult, weird situation, whatever adjective you want to put in front of it, and we started live streaming our services. Um, and since the beginning, we've stated the obvious that watching church on TV is not the same as being present, and you know that. In fact, the whole concept of watching church is completely against the theology of the church. Now, I'm Obviously, Paul didn't know about live streaming when he wrote this verse in Colossians or when the writer wrote in the book of Hebrews. Uh, but there was still the possibility of attending church and watching it without participating, and that's what he was talking about. Um, but watching church is, is certainly something that we can't espouse as a church, uh, philosophically, theologically, and so we are going to be reverting back to a little more similar to what we were doing before the pandemic when it comes to putting sermons online. We'll continue to put the audio online as we have been, and we'll continue to put the video of the message online because that's helpful for those who are genuinely stuck at home or for, for some other reason miss. Uh, but there are three reasons why we're going to, uh, rather than live streaming, we're going to put the video up later. We're going to have the audio up later. Uh, the first is theological and I think I've laid that out at least in part this morning, worshiping together has to be together. We have to be together. Um, the receiving without giving is completely foreign to the scriptural foundation of what a church is. And when we sit and observe some church service, whether it's ours or some others, doesn't matter, um, we are, there's something broken there. There's something missing. Uh, so the first reason is theological. The second reason is actually legal. 
um, we have a, a license that we've been paying for to stream our music as we do it, but that license really only covers a portion of the songs that we would do, and so we're not quite in the green for streaming music anyway. And the third is practical, is we really don't have the equipment to produce the music side of our service well online. So we're going to, uh, when that license expires, we're going to stop streaming the music part of our sermon. And you're all here, so I mean, that didn't really matter to you today. Uh, but I'm just letting you know that that going forward, that's gonna be what happens. Uh, our audio and video will be posted uh, Monday or Tuesday. Why? Because the church must gather. And we want, like I said, we're still putting it online because we want to be an encouragement for those who genuinely cannot be here. Uh, but the reality is, is that's just not church. That's not worship as God designed it. And, you know, we live in an era where people virtually visit a church before physically visiting, so we're going to keep that online presence available. And we want to continue to give access to those who are shut in or sick. And we're going to keep doing the video in-house for the nursery and the fellowship hall as needed. That's, and we've got the equipment, we'll use it. Uh, but moving forward, that is going to be changing. And that's not the point of this sermon. The point of this sermon is uh, the, the one another aspect. That we would understand that when we gather here to worship, it's not like going and watching a movie or watching a concert where you're sitting there and you're taking it all in. Maybe you got a bag of popcorn. I mean, in church we do coffee, but still. Um, it's about participating and interacting with the word and being able to interact back and forth. Uh, now, we're not a church that interacts during the message. Thank you, that'd be distracting. But because we've gathered together, because we've sung at each other and in, in worship of our God, and because we have uh, gone through the same passage and the same uh, line of argumentation together, we have that, those discussions afterwards as we fellowship, and, and, and it spurs us to growth as God has designed. Now, you'll notice I've really only gotten through half of the verse. Uh, next week, I intend to go through, Lord willing, through what he means by psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, how that plays out in real life in our church, and what he's talking about with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Singing is great, and that's what this verse is about. Singing is great, uh, and we need to do it, but we can easily do it without having the right heart. So we'll dig more into that next week as well. Corporate worship is to be word-saturated, others-directed, and as we'll see next week, God-centered. On top of that, worshiping together as the body of Christ is our duty. It's our obligation. It's our obligation to be here and to worship together. And there are times when we can't. We just can't. We get that. It's whether we're choosing. Is it because God ordained that well, we had an icy road, or God ordained that you got sick, whatever. God puts roadblocks in our lives. He's sovereign over those things. He can do that. But in the normal course of our rhythm of life, is worship part of it? Is the gathering together part of it? Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would be pleased with our worship of you this morning. We ask that you would uh, continue to instill in our hearts the desire to grow closer to you. And there are ways that we do that individually throughout the week, and those are important ways. But there's one way that you have 
ordained that we grow spiritually closer to you each week, and that's through our worship together. As we receive the word of God prepared and guided by the Spirit, as we sing to one another songs that direct our attention to you, that direct our attention to uh, the brokenness of this world and our desire for you to come and make all things new as we sing songs of, of various themes and stripes. Lord, we are, we are doing that in worship of you, but we, in doing so, it's magnified because we're together. And it increases uh, our love and devotion individually as we are singing and worshiping together. Lord, I pray that you would help us to recognize our roles individually in worship and that we would take it seriously and, and that we would encourage one another through our psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Father, thank you for the way that you are using the word in our hearts today. We ask that you would uh, bless us as we, as we live out what you have laid out for us in Jesus' name. Amen.